multiple sporting events around the world have been canceled because of the coronavirus. Here at the Scotiabank Arena, the Leafs are scheduled to take on the Tampa Bay Lightning on Tuesday night. There are no plans to cancel the game. However, the way that the players interact with the fans and the media have been changed. You know, we do what we're told. You know, if we're doing media out here, it's not because... You know, that's us making the call, that's our doctors, and we just do what they say. Never seen a joint statement from multiple leagues all at once before, but that's what we saw last night go out from Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, the NBA, and the NHL, uh, all saying in part that locker rooms and clubhouses across all of their leagues will only be open to players and essential employees, and media access will be maintained in designated locations. This weekend, the Women's World Hockey Championship that was supposed to be held in Canada at the end of the month was cancelled because of concerns over the virus and the Indian Wells tennis tournament was also postponed over concerns over the outbreak. But one pro hockey team is going to uh, make it very different for the fans because it's caught up in a ban on large gatherings. Yeah, and it's unlikely this is going to be the only one that we're yes. going to see, but it is the first one, the first time a major pro team in North America forced to either delay, cancel, or move games, that being the San Jose Sharks. They play their home games at the SAP Center in Santa Clara, California. That county has prohibited all large gatherings of more than 1,000 people. Welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. This is Justin Bourne. Anyone who does watch the Tape to Tape pod from time to time knows Justin is an occasional contributor. We're happy to have you in the chair. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good times. Good times, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a strange world Mild out there. Pa- epidemic panic. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's getting its way into hockey talk here, Justin. We have to talk about the coronavirus a little bit. To do that, we're going to speak with Curtis Pashelka. He covers the San Jose Sharks, so we're going to get... Um, Get a sense for what's going on there, where at the moment, um, this is the first team that's really been impacted by the coronavirus because we don't really know what's going to go on with some home games there. And and obviously things tend to change quickly here, but Curtis is going to catch us up to speed. But I was down at the Tampa Bay Lightning and Toronto Maple Leafs morning skate. We're recording this on Tuesday before they play Tuesday night. And it's a strange vibe down there, no doubt, because, of course, the mandate has come out that reporters are not allowed in the locker rooms now. So everyone's just kind of looking at each other, being like, do you know how this is going to work? And we ended up in uh, a little dumpy locker room that the Raptors usually do some press coverage in. So it's definitely a bit of uh, an odd vibe out there. It's also weird that they're like, uh, you can't have large gatherings of people, so we're going to jam you all in a tight area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's our solution. I mean, yeah, there's real concerns, yeah. and I appreciate that everyone is making attempts to address those concerns. Uh, are they effective? I don't know, but uh, at least they're trying. Yeah, this is where we get to throw out the TV or radio caveat. I'm not a doctor, but uh, <laughs> yeah. all I can do is go along with what people in the know say, and you know, we'll see where it goes from here. Let's flip over to some hockey then, and we'll keep with those Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't know that there's a more fascinating team in the NHL to watch, to see. I mean, when you consider their long arc here of the past half decade, how good that team has been. They came close in 2015. Shocking exit last year. Slow start. I remember you tweeting in around December, like, are they going to get it in gear or not? Like, we're getting past that. Yeah, 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 it's going to happen. And then it happened. What's your 30,000-foot view on this Lightning team that is 
pretty much certainly going to finish second in the Atlantic, but has much, much, much bigger goals in mind. Yeah, if I mean, I don't know if 30,000 feet is far enough, but to pull it back from like the last, as you said, like half decade or so, they're probably one of the best teams who haven't won a cup. When you think about those Capitals teams before Ovi and Backstrom got it done, you know, I'm thinking of the best teams who haven't won cups, the Canucks team, uh, 2011, 2011 that, sure. you know, those sort of, and not just that year, those three, yeah. four year uh, chunks, you know, this run by Tampa Bay now, they're in that conversation of teams that like, if they don't get it done at some point, they're going to be one of these teams we look back at and say, best team that never won a cup. And uh, it, it is getting a little bit dire, but I, I think you can make the case that this is a different looking Tampa team. And I think part of the reason is they saw their failures last season and they've addressed, all right, physical playoff hockey, fine. We'll buy in. Sure. We'll get a Coleman, a Goodrow. Patty uh, Maroon Pat before Maroon, the season. Yeah, like, you know, they've, they've even uh, picking up Bogosian. You know, that I think they're making an effort to play uh, more like the hockey that gets played in the playoffs than regular season hockey. Do you buy into that, that it is night and day, or at the very least that you do, it takes a certain type of team and it can't just be high flying or do you think that Tampa's number just hasn't been pulled? I think it's flat out wrong to say that you can't win playing you know flat out skill hockey. Yeah. I think that that's possible if you're that much better than the other teams. But the reality for Tampa is they're in a division with a very good Boston team and you know Toronto has been good some years and but Boston is that main roadblock. And a team that's composed differently than those super skilled teams. Right. So you get that in your the contrast is right in your face, right? Yeah, exactly. The, it's something that they needed to address. I also think that like when you get into the postseason, every team you play is good. And uh, that means that everyone plays tighter defensively, and it's tough. You have to play a different way to beat the good team. So what works in the regular season when you beat up on the lower half of the league Though, you know, the playoff teams don't make those same mistakes, and so you're not able to use your skill to capitalize as easily. So you do have to go through people a little bit more. And I think, as, as we're saying, that they have addressed that to some extent. I can't think of a team that has done as good a job finding and developing players outside the first and second round than Tampa Bay. And I know some people will say, well, you know, the Red Wings really did a great job of it. And that's true. They did. They hit massive home runs with Zetterberg and Datsuk in later rounds. But if, I mean, you look at someone like Nick Littrow, he was drafted so long ago that part of it was like, some teams were like, yeah, we're not drafting Swedish guys at this yeah. point. You know, it was a full marks of the Red Wings for being ahead of the curve. But I think when everyone is scouring every corner of the world now, what Tampa continues to do is just more impressive than anything I can think of. Of course, we're talking about Andre Palat, Nikita Kucherov. Hello, the reigning MVP and 130-point guy. And the latest guy, I mean, Tyler Johnson, not even um, drafted an unsigned uh, free agent. But the latest guy to really take this step is Anthony Sorelli. And I know from just, again, being down at, uh, at ACC this morning, you know, there's a little bit of buzz building for this guy's Selkie case, which seems a little crazy. I want to know what you think of the way Tampa has developed guys. And and let's get into what you look for in a in a good defensive forward. Yeah, so Sorelli, yeah, he, what he is doing this season is special. It's something that, you know, Jeff Merrick, our Hockey Central host there, has really keyed on, yeah. um, you know, his special two-way play. So what it is for me that makes a good defensive player is the example I, I use, and I'm, I'm working on a piece on this right now, is so as a winger, when I'm back checking, if I'm back checking and there's a three-on-three three headed towards my net, the next guy up the ice is their defenseman. 
I don't have to beat him up the ice. He's probably going to be irrelevant. They'll, it's an even-numbered rush. They'll probably dump it in. But the best players make that extra effort to get on the right side of a guy who might not have anything to do with the play. And if you watch, well, the guys who won it in the past, Patrice Bergeron, Ryan O'Reilly, they're never surprised by a play unfolding and all of a sudden their guy is, whoops, he's open by a foot or two in the back door. They're on the defensive side of a guy where he may not be, be relevant. And Anthony Sorelli looks like that to me where the priority for him is not the offensive side of it, even though his offense has been good, but he's he just seems like he's in the right places all the time. And there are so few, well, I shouldn't say so few, but there aren't uh, everyone on an NHL team that you can trust are going to be where they should be. And it's so nice when you play with a guy who just, he's going to be on the right side of a guy. You know where everyone is. So Sorelli is that for Tampa. And uh, to me, that effort to be there when you don't have to be is what makes a good defensive player. And it starts with awareness, I guess, being able yes, to look around even and knowing identify. Where to be. Yeah. That's a, a big coach's thing is like, okay, we teach players to stand this area of the ice in this situ- situation, but you're not defending that area of the ice. You know, like, where's the guy who's going to end up in that area of the yeah. ice? Or, you know, even if he's three feet off from where he should be, a lot of people go, well, you wanted me to stand in the slot. And it's like, well, we want you to find the guy. That's where we <laughs> wanted you to start. <laughs> yes. We were hoping you could maybe adjust from there. Yeah, we're giving you a little credit to yeah. actually freelance <laughs> a bit from there. So uh, not everyone is able to, though. Not everyone has that, uh, that defensive awareness. So, I mean, the Selkie... Part of the conversation with Sorelli is you kind of have to, it's a trophy you win after you get the reputation. It really is one more that you see guys win at 28, 29 after it's really been established. Uh, But keeping with the awards talk, I mean, we are coming to the end of the line here and it's funny, I was listening to an NBA podcast and for you know most of the season it was a, a slam dunk that uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo was going to win and all of a sudden everyone was like, maybe LeBron could win it. Yeah. And I kind of feel like it's not exactly the same trajectory in the NHL, but there's been a lot of dry sidle case closed. But as the Rangers creep into the playoff race and Artemi Panarin gets some looks, maybe even Mika Zibanejad, and Nathan McKinnon, the way he has guided that Colorado team through a season when they've had, you know, really tough injuries to their next a tier of guys because McKinnon's in a tier of his own, but Rantanen and Landeskog are the stars also on that team. How do you see things shaking down? How do you handicap it here as we turn for home? It is interesting, isn't it, that there is like this uh, late push. You know, the Taylor Hall MVP trophy, that was like his name didn't come up until like this part of the season. Yep. And actually, I remember there was a push. Someone wrote an article that like got his name in the mix, and he played well after people started thinking about him. And you kind of get that name at the front of your mind. That can happen for sure. I was a guy who I was looking for a reason not to give it to Leon Dreisaitl, I think, because Connor McDavid was there. And to me, he softens teams up for Dreisaitl. If he's not there, I'm not sure Dreisaitl can do what he does. Then McDavid was hurt, and Dreisaitl, you know, willed that Oilers team to some wins and put up big totals. And I was like, fine. You know, if you if he wins, you know, the scoring title by 15 points after that stretch, he's the guy to me. Um, so right now, he's still first in my books. But again dozen games left in the season yeah. even if McDavid went on a run like that's the gu- so when I was looking at the stats today I was like what about Connor McDavid he really I think he only missed seven games yeah. maybe six like you're telling me he couldn't do enough in the like if he goes out of his mind in the Oilers you know they're looking good to get into the playoffs I think there's a conversation there. Yeah, well, it's such a weird thing. It's like, what are we voting on exactly? And the Hart Trophy is the hardest one because people vote on it differently. Yes. And like, you know, Jeff uh, Merrick was also, he doesn't love the way it's defined. And he was saying, 
Um, you know, it should be the best player. It doesn't matter if your team makes the playoffs at all, most value. And then you, you can argue for goaltenders should be heavily weighted if you're yeah. arguing value. Also, if you're arguing value, then the best player on the worst team should win it. So yes. like Jack Eichel, because the second best player is farthest from him. And where does Buffalo fall right. without that guy? And then if you're the Oilers, it would just void the candidacy of either McDavid or Dreisaitl because the other guy is just so good. Yeah. So that's not what I'm voting on necessarily. I'm trying to find the best season. Yeah. Who had the best season in the NHL? Yeah. And it just still, to me, like McDavid's the best player on that Oilers team and Drysaddle's having the best season. But, uh, you know, if this next stretch goes a little differently, maybe Drysaddle missed a few games and McDavid's hot. Yeah, I am, if all things are equal, looking to give it to McDavid, not just for what he's done, but the way I believe he drives things for Edmonton. It is. I mean, I could do an hour long pod on the language of the Hart Trophy and it is problematic. And I think. How do you view it? You phrase it basically exactly how I come to think about it. We, what you're really trying to do is identify the most unique or outstanding season because the word valuable really does have a different meaning. And I think you want to elevate or shine a light on the season that's kind of most worthy of celebrating. But all those sentences I just spat out are way too jumbled to be a definition of yeah. a major trophy. So we call it the MVP, right? And yeah, I mean... The idea that goalies can't win it, like in my mind, a goalie should probably be winning it every fourth year. Where's Winnipeg with a yeah, hellebuck like, this year? I mean, they're in thirty fourth place. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So yes, I everyone can't exactly get on the same page with it, but the way you articulate it is more or less how I look at it. And I, in that, actually, I even mentioned that to Merrick that that's how I vote on it. And he was like, well, that's not the spirit of the award. And I was like, well, I don't know it is, yeah. but that's how well, I see yeah. it. Most outstanding uh, player is closer. I think most outstanding season might be the, the title for me. All right. Well, we've got three weeks to go. So, yes, we'll see what may change. All right. Stick around on Tape to Tape. More to come. We're going to bring in Curtis Pashelka to talk about what is going on with the San Jose Sharks and the NHL as it pertains to the coronavirus. A little more to come here on Tape to Tape. Quarterbacks up top. Right circle, Martian. Fires Price to save. Rebound, Pasternak. He scores! Throw your shampoo! That's a hat-trick for Pasternak! It's his eighth! And now the Bruins with a chance. Krejci. Feathered ahead, Pasternak into the slot, walks in, back in, he scores! That's number 43, and it's a game winner. That's 47 for David Pasternak. Barlama down and out, and Pasternak sizzled it in. one nothing Bruins. Welcome back. Tape to tape, if you're listening to this podcast, I think there's a pretty good chance you are into fantasy hockey. If so, make sure you check out the Sportsnet Fantasy Pool presented by Ram. Just go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. You can win cash prizes totaling 50 grand. And the grand prize up for grabs a 2020 Ram 1500 Sport. Justin, we just did some MVP chatter without mentioning a guy who has been awesome all season at one point, was chasing 50 and 50, is for sure going to get 50 goals and might win the Rocket Richard, David Pasternak. Now, some people are going to look at Pasternak and say, I think I could pop 30 on that line. (laughs) Where do you come down on what uh, Mr. Pasta, as they call him, brings to the Marshan 
Bergeron trio. Yeah, I, I do think if you were to pick the sweetest job in the league, it is playing that spot on that line. But I don't want to take anything away from him at all because I think he scores a ton of goals on, you know, maybe not quite as many, but pretty much every team. I think he's a, a near league leading point guard yeah. goal scorer. He's just so electric. He's got such a good shot, such a good sense of where to lurk off in the flanks and where to find an open one timer. So I'm a big fan. I know he is the. Probably the the guy of the league leaders and goals that fans want to see win the least, just given the names right there with them. Sure. Being Ovechkin and Matthews. But uh, I think he's the guy who gets it done. You think he's going to end up finishing a nose ahead of those guys? Finally knock Ovi off? Yeah. I just, uh, again, that line is just so yeah. good. And uh, he just, he's so dangerous to me. Uh, the, the Leafs have been struggling a bit of late. Not that I don't think Ovi can do it or either of those guys can do it. I just, at the end of the day, I think Pasternak is the most electric and he'll, he'll find a way. All right, well, uh, you heard to hear pasta for the rocket. We will see how it shakes down the home stretch. Stick around. One more block to come on Tape to Tape. Now at 11 and streaming on CBSN Bay Area, some major developments tonight in the effort to prevent the coronavirus from spreading. Well, let's begin with Betty Yu, who is in San Jose, where the new countywide ban on large public gatherings will have a huge impact. Tonight, Santa Clara County issued the first order of its kind in the country to slow the spread of COVID-19. This will affect events at SAP Center in downtown San Jose. I have issued a legal order banning events with more than 1,000 people in attendance. This order will take effect at 12 a.m. on Wednesday, March 11th, and will remain in place for three weeks. Hey, time now for our overtime segment brought to you by Subway. No joke, Subway now delivers. Joining us this week for overtime, he covers the San Jose Sharks for the Bay Area News Group. It is Curtis Pashelka. Curtis Typically, we are we're getting guys like you on the phone to talk about a team's performance, um, but very different situation going on right now with the coronavirus. Can you please just bring us up to speed uh, and up to the minute, I guess, in terms of what is going on uh, with the Sharks in terms of uh, how this virus is going to impact their home games? You know, obviously, yesterday, the Santa Clara County health officials uh said that they are banning large gatherings of people of more than a thousand people. So that would include obviously sporting events and San Jose Sharks games. And so late last night, you know, the Sharks sent out a statement that uh, they would obviously abide by those uh, by that decision. So as of now, um, it's still a bit of a holding pattern as to how the Sharks will plan to play these games over the next three weeks, which is as long as the uh, the ban is is in place for, for now so as we go until the end of March. So so they've got games against Montreal on the 19th, a uh, game against Boston on the 21st, and a game against Arizona uh, on the 29th. And so as of now, like all options are more or less on the table for the Sharks, uh, whether that is playing at SAP Center in front of a, you know, less than a thousand people or with no spectators at all playing those games at neutral sites such as, you know, Anaheim or Vegas or perhaps another building or uh, just postponing those games until after the end of the month and working in coordination with the NHL, obviously, with that. And so that's kind of where we stand right now. Um, you know, the Sharks practice this morning as they, before they, they 
flew out to Chicago, so they're out of town for the next seven or eight days, and uh, you know we'll be coming back uh, to play their first game on the 19th, uh, whether that's here in uh, SAP Center or uh, or at another building. But uh, they seem to be trying to take this in stride and, and, and go with the flow a little bit. Obviously, they did be disappointed to have to play uh, a game without any fans in front of them, but I think they're trying to be uh, kind of you know looking at this from from a health perspective and trying to keep that uh, keep that in mind as well. It seems really unlikely that you know we're looking back at this and saying, "Boy, we sure regret doing that." But I could see the opposite happening for some teams who are more hesitant to to make a change like this, uh, ending up regretting it. Do you get any sense that this will kind of become something that spreads, not unlike the virus <laughs> league wide? Uh, this idea that fans should stay away and and teams should play in front of no fans. Yeah, I don't think you rule anything out at this point. You know, I think that, you know, in some areas where this is the disease has taken hold, more hold than maybe other places, yeah, I could definitely see something like that happening. You know, I think that's sort of the main priority here is just trying to keep everybody as safe as possible and uh, hoping that uh, they can try to slow this down or, or contain it in, in some way and so I think um, Santa Clara County made a made a decision last night. I think that's the first decision of its kind, and I would be surprised if it's the only decision like this made. Whether it be uh, you know affecting other teams, if it's another sport, or like say the NBA, for instance, or uh, or throughout the NHL, I think. Uh, I would not be surprised if, if this happens uh, elsewhere as well. So one step that has already been taken is by uh, four leagues, including the NHL, to ban non-essential staff, essentially, from the locker rooms. I think everyone understands and is on board uh, with any measure right now that sort of stems the spread of this virus. But just uh, for those who, who aren't familiar, um, take us through a little bit what that means for people on the ground, Curtis, in terms of the difference between how you would normally interact with players and coaches and what you're seeing now, having experienced it at least for, for one day at a, at a practice. So, you know, normally, you know, after a practice like today, for instance, uh, reporters would be allowed to go into the locker room and and talk to whoever player is in there at that time. And, you know, usually they're just kind of taking their equipment off and you kind of just go up to them and start a conversation. And, you know, there's no real restrictions necessarily. You're just going in there and doing your job and talking to players and, and trying to, uh, you know, flesh out a story, for instance. And, um, you know, now... Uh, you know, as of last week, last Friday, uh, that was the first day the Sharks had decided that uh, the day they would not allow reporters into the dress room and that uh, they would be having their players uh, stand behind a podium with reporters maybe three, four, five feet away um, asking questions in that manner. So it's, it, it's a lot more formal now than maybe it was, you know, before. You sort of just kind of just shoot the breeze with a player about whatever topic you wanted and then kind of just ask questions related to the, related to the game or to the team. So now it's just a little bit more <laughs> straightforward and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you can't really talk to players, you know, in that, you know, kind of an informal way anymore. So, uh, so as, as far as we know, this is kind of how it's going to be for the rest of the season. And, you know, I think Gary Bettman said over the weekend, there's nothing going to be permanent. They just going to, uh, trying to take some precautions now. So it is an adjustment definitely for, for media trying to do their jobs 
but you know we don't really have much choice in the matter right now it's just uh, this is the way it's got to be and you kind of do the best you can and you know this morning for instance uh there was a big group of reporters here um, you know, television stations and whatnot, and we were all kind of in a locker room here at uh, the Sharks practice facility that's, you know, normally used by, you know, youth hockey teams and adult hockey teams and that kind of thing. It's just kind of a cramped room, and, you know, players just came up one by one and stood behind the microphone, and reporters were all kind of in the back of the room, you know, six, seven feet away, and, and uh, trying to ask questions that way. So it's just, uh, it's different. You don't quite get the uh, the access maybe you, you had before, but um, I think for everybody, it's just a little bit of a gesture right now and and uh, just kind of see how it goes from here. Well, we'll uh, leave it there, Curtis. Strange times for sure. Hopefully things uh, get back to, to normal sooner rather than later, but tough to know exactly where this is going. We really appreciate you coming on and, and bringing us up to speed. Thanks, Curtis. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. That is Curtis Pashelka. He covers the San Jose Sharks for the Bay Area News Group. Not something we we uh, expect to be talking about on a hockey podcast, but here we are, Justin. It is um, it is a reality for everyone in the world. Obviously, much more grave things going on than sports, but it is impacting uh, the the game we cover. Thanks again to Curtis for joining us. Thanks so much to Justin for joining us on the Tape to Tape podcast. Make sure you're checking out all of Justin's fine work on Hockey Central at noon. Uh, again, you can check out Curtis Pashelka. He uh, covers the Sharks for the Bay Area News Group. He is on Twitter at Curtis Pashelka, P-A-S-H-E-L-K. Check out everything going on at sportsnet.ca. Come back next week for more Glass Rattling Hockey action on Tape to Tape.